I'd like to invite you, if you will, to turn to John chapter 18. We're in a continuing series of verse-by-verse studies in John's gospel. Having taken just a short hiatus during the month of January to talk about what is the church and why does it matter, we return, as we did last time, to the 18th chapter of the gospel of John. We have just last Lord's Day seen the scenario and the narrative of John's gospel regarding the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus in the first 14 verses. And I want to pick up the narrative in verse 15 and running throughout verse 27, skipping verses 19 to 24, which we'll take up next time because there's a there's an intervening narrative about what's happening to Jesus as he is being arrested and uh, taken before Annas, Caiaphas. And then in the running dialogue right alongside the arrest of Jesus is this detail about the apostle Peter. You follow along as I read first from John 18, beginning verse 15 through verse 27. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered them, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Now this is a very familiar text, and I assume that countless believers through the ages have heard time and time again as they've read through these gospel accounts the story of Peter's thrice denial. So I want to see if this morning I can present it in a sort of different kind of way, trying to bring all the gospels together and 
an attempt for us to put ourselves in Peter's place. So the outline will be very, very short, very simple, and it starts with this. Here's the first denial. Peter's first denial. Let's call it a denial in an alien alignment. A denial in an alien alignment. What do I mean? Well, if you back up in the story, you have, according to John 18, 1, Jesus who is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there. He's in full control as we saw last time. He is working inexorably in his journey to the cross. This is Passion Week. He knows what is to occur. He's orchestrating the events because he's God in human flesh. He's being completely and totally obedient to his heavenly Father. He is asking God for strength according to his prayer in Gethsemane before the robbers, the thieves, the officers, the soldiers, before they all come to steal him away. The disciples, of course, are there. It's quite dark. There are lanterns. There are torches. There are soldiers with their weapons. Even the disciples are presumably armed because Peter has a knife. Peter seems to be totally committed not to understanding and fulfilling all of what Jesus has been saying repeatedly is his mission. But because of his confusion about the Messiah, because He doesn't quite understand a Messiah who goes to a cross and dies. Neither do the rest of the disciples. So Peter is ready there with his knife. He wants to do some blood sport with those who are attempting to take his master away. And so when at what he presumes, I assume the time is right, takes out his knife And when Jesus is about to be led away, he takes that knife, not a large sword, but a a small knife, and he cuts off Malchus' ear. That's what John tells us. And of course, what John doesn't say, but what Luke tells us, is that Jesus immediately, not wanting something like this to subvert the plan, takes his hand and heals instantly Malchus' ear, and then tells Peter to put the knife back in its sheath. Shall I not take the cup that my Father has given me? The cup of going to the cross, the cup of shame, the cup of wrath, and the Father's face turns away from the Son so they can bear the sins of everyone who would ever believe. That's what Jesus knows He's going to do. And Peter doesn't quite understand it. But he's noble. He's ferocious. No one ever accused Peter of being shy. He's the apostle with the the foot-shaped mouth, right? Always saying something, always leading, always trying to be out front. We don't know a lot about the descending order of the knowledge of the apostles, 4, 8, 12. The last grouping of four, we know virtually nothing about. We know their names. We know not much else. The middle four, we know a little bit more about. We know their names and... uh, Uh, a few occupations and uh, a few references to what they did or didn't do in the the four Gospels that we have before us. But we know a lot about the top four, and we know an incredible amount about Peter. He's dominant, isn't he? 
Even throughout the book of Acts, and even, of course, in First and Second Peter, his own recitation of uh, that which he's learned from the Lord Jesus. We even know that Peter was very influential in John Mark's life, and that Peter was, in a sense, that which was behind the writing of Mark's gospel. And so we know a lot about this man, Peter. And here's what we know now about him that he chooses to switch camps. He goes to an alien alignment. You say, what do you mean by that? Look back at verse 15. Here's the narrative. Here's the backdrop. Simon Peter followed Jesus, of course, from a distance. He has attempted to defend Jesus Jesus has rebuked him. Jesus is now being led into that courtyard area and then into the very home, the quarters of the high priest, Annas, father, Caiaphas, son-in-law. There's a whole group of them. Annas had five sons. They were all high priests. Even had a grandson who was high priest. Even has a son-in-law, Caiaphas, high priest. So they're leading Jesus there. And uh, Jesus goes into the quarters. And there's a courtyard area that is outside. And it's very cold. And it's very dark. And so they start a charcoal fire, do the officers and servants. Those who are loyal uh, to the Jewish religious leaders. And those who are loyal to the Romans. Peter's following along. He's quite detached. And then it says in verse 15, since that disciple was known to the high priest, what disciple? Well, another disciple according to verse 15. And that we presume is John himself, the author of this gospel. So this other disciple or another disciple, John, knows that Peter is outside. He's already entered with Jesus, according to verse 15, because he was someone who was known inside the court of the high priest. But Peter, verse 16, stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl. There was apparently um, a servant girl, a slave girl, who was the one who was uh, sort of fetching the door. She was uh, uh, looking for visitors in and out, and she would be uh, asking them questions and names and credentials. And so she's there at the door, and she's keeping watch at that door. And uh, John somehow convinces her to let Peter in. And so Peter is brought in. According to verse 17, the servant girl at the door may have had some visual of Peter in the garden, even though it was dark. They had those torches there. They had those those lights, and uh, somehow she must have recognized Peter because in this narrative, she asked the question, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And then the narrative turns on something that you might not expect. Verse 18, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. And then this bolt out of the blue, Peter also was with them. That's an important word. He was with them, standing and warming himself. You say, well, it was cold. That's why he was with them. 
He's not going to be standing off by himself, continuing to be cold. No, there's, there's more going on here. This, this alignment of Peter with these, the very ones who have served to, to arrest Jesus just a little time ago. And now he's with them and he's standing with them and they are warming themselves and he is warming himself. And one of these servant girls in the midst of this charcoal fire sees his face and says, surely you're one of those who was with this man, Jesus of Nazareth, weren't you? And what was Peter's response? I am not. That's also significant. Because do you remember in this very garden of Gethsemane that Jesus has just left? When these soldiers ask him, we want Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth, are you that man? What did he say? I am. Remember we talked about that last time? Notice what Peter is saying right now. Right in the midst of the opportunity for Peter to say, I am. I am that man. I am that man that tried to, do, tried to defend my master. I would have killed Malchus if I could so that you could see I will die for my Savior. But he doesn't. Jesus said, I am. Ego, me." And Peter, when he has the opportunity, instead runs away, aligns himself with the very ones who've just arrested Jesus and his words in the Greek text, ouk, me. I am not. I'm not with him. In fact, if you put several of the gospels together, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And there's more than the narrative that John provides. Luke provides some additional narrative, some color to what is going on in this first denial. In Luke chapter 22, verse 54, the Bible says, Then they seized him, referring to Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. Now it's not simply an interrogatory, it's a declaration, right? It's not, weren't you with him, sir? It's, it's more declarative. Maybe she asked the question first, and he said, I am not. And now she's saying, surely you were. This man, I, I see him in the light. And what does Peter say, verse 57? But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. I am not. I don't know the man. You've got the wrong guy. Move along. Oh, but he's already aligned himself. He's standing with the rest of them. He's warming himself at the fire. He's, he's with those who are doing harm to Jesus. Jesus is in the house. He's being questioned. 
And when he answers the question, he's slapped. And according to some of the other gospel accounts, he's actually repeatedly struck by several. And where's Peter? He's involved in an alien alignment. He's following at best at a distance. And all of this uh, vigor, all of this fervor, all of this... uh, defense of the Lord Jesus, taking a knife, cutting an ear, all of that, it's gone. It's gone. And now he's in denial. He's aligned himself with those who are standing against Jesus. And Peter sat down among them. Matthew even adds this in Matthew 26. Verses 69 and 70. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, he's following at a distance and then he comes right into the light of the charcoal fire and he says, I don't know the man, I'm not. And when they persist, he says before them all, I do not know what you mean. This is a pretty substantial denial, isn't it? I don't know him. Mark says, I neither know nor understand what you mean. I mean, when you put all the Gospels together, he's making a decided case. He's trying to build his argument. It's not just a, a man who is standing in the shadows who doesn't want to deny his Lord. It's, it's not someone who doesn't really uh, want to come out in the light of day and, and proclaim Jesus as Lord. No, no opposite of that. This is a man who is emphatically denying Jesus. Emphatic. He's gone over to the other side. And you know, this is that same Peter who said in John chapter 13, in Matthew 26, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. And as soon as he says such a thing, Jesus prophesies, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. You say, well, man, if the Lord Jesus had said that to me, I would have been in abject terror, fear, emotional, tearful, deny my Lord? I mean, even in the midst of Peter being so boastful about willing to die for him, and maybe he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and maybe he was thinking, I'm going to cut off this ear and I'm going to die, maybe by my own knife, but I'm going to do it. And somehow, and in some way, all of that fades either incrementally or in a moment of time. And when he has the opportunity to support, to stand with, you say, well, it was because the Bible says that all of the sheep will be scattered. Jesus prophesied. Jesus quotes a psalm. All of these will will go. Even Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, look, if you want me, take me. Let the rest of these go. This is all a part of the plan. But don't negate the responsibility of Peter. He's responsible He's responsible for his actions. He's responsible for his words. 
He's not a robot. Nobody's telling him what to do. Nobody's cranking him here and cranking him there. He's doing what he's doing because he's of his own volition. And this is what he's doing. He's aligning himself with the very ones who are arresting Jesus Christ. Second denial. Second denial. Let's call it a denial with a solemn oath. You say it gets worse? Oh, yes. It gets far worse. Skipping over the narrative that we'll cover next time, verses 19 to 24, and the defenses of Jesus, verse 25. Now Simon was standing and warming himself. And John says that, of course, because we've got this interplay of the two narratives running alongside each other, right? Like railroad tracks. Here's Jesus in his defense inside the house. Here's Peter in his denial outside the house. And so back to Peter. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, and it's not just a a lone servant girl. It's actually a number of them. It could have even been most of them. They were the ones who were in the garden. So many of them soldiers They they were at the behest of both the Jews and the Romans, and so they all know what's going on. They undoubtedly saw Peter in the light of those torches, now in the light of the charcoal fire, and so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, and he said, I'm not. This is his second opportunity. Luke 22, 58, man, I am not. Mark 14, 70, uh, again he denied it. Matthew 26, 72, and again he denied it with an oath. You say, what's an oath? An oath in that day meant someone was swearing upon their own life or death. I swear to you, I make an oath upon my own demise. I don't know him. I'm not with him. I don't know what you mean. I wasn't there. I neither understand or know what you're talking about. And didn't Jesus, when he was teaching, not only these disciples but others, say on one occasion, those who are not with me are against me. And Peter's against him. Right here, right now. I mean, it's a sad tale. I mean, there's so much to like about Peter. I think I'm a lot like Peter. And yet when it comes to the place where Peter has to use that mouth of his for good, for support, for affirmation, for confirmation, yes, I'm with him, and I'm willing to die for him. He said it himself, but he's not willing Right at the apex of the moment, he's not willing. In fact, he's willing to bellow out an oath to say, I don't even want to be with him. I'll be with you against him. Now we should pause and we should say, you know, It's easy to jump on a guy like this. But what would we have done? Seriously. There's a a sense in all of us of self-preservation, right? You say, 
and, and to deny my Lord? Hey, there's a lot of hindsight going on. I mean, we know the story. We know the future. We would hope ourselves that if our country was overrun with a marauding band of uh, religionists or irreligionists who would try to take over not only our country, but your own life or mine by the sword. They would challenge us. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You follow him as Lord? He is not Lord. You remember that story, I believe it was about Columbine, where someone was with the gun at her head, asked to deny Jesus Christ, and she would not. We would all hope that we would do that, right? Or maybe it's not um, that climactic. Maybe it's something like this. It's a far lesser idea. Maybe we're called upon to witness to somebody. We know we should. They're right there. They're our neighbor. They're our friend. They're our classmate. They're our workmate. They're, they're, They're all around us. And if they're all around us, we have the opportunity. We should. We should speak a word about Christ. And if our mouths stay shut... It's a practical denial. It may not be on the, on the scale of what Peter's going through here, but, but practically speaking, there, there's an opportunity for us. And maybe it's even more of an opportunity. Maybe it's coming from an initiation from somebody who knocks on our door and says, Hi, we're from the church of dot, dot, dot. What do you believe? Oh, I'm busy right now. I can't talk. Maybe they come to us. Maybe they ask us to defend our faith. Maybe they're wanting us to prove what we believe by what we know and how we act. And maybe we shudder in fear. Maybe we say, I don't know what to say. Maybe we say, come back later. Maybe we say, don't come back at all. Maybe we say, I like my life. I'm far comfortable with what I'm doing, and this is going to mess it up. Denial comes in a lot of ways. So let's at least take Peter at face value. He's not doing the right thing, and he's sinning against his Lord. And he's taken a solemn oath. And we should say to ourselves, Lord, what would I do in that situation? Would I have been different than Peter's denial? Would I have defended instead of denied? The third denial. Number three, verses 26 and 27. Let's call this a denial with an icy stare. A denial with an icy stare. You say, what kind of icy stare? Well, verse 26 says, One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, that's Malchus, John supplies us with the very name of the servant. One of his relatives asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? I mean, there's a case that's being made, right? Uh, There's this mounting evidence. I mean, while Jesus is in in the, the house quarters, and while they're trying to trump up charges against the true high priest, the great high priest, and they can't, and the Gospels are all saying they're contradicting one another, they can't mount enough evidence against Jesus, they're all saying things opposite of each other, it's a kangaroo court in there, but out here, the, the mounting evidence is, 
Weren't you there? Didn't you do this? Aren't you one of those? Didn't you follow him? And the evidence is becoming clearer and clearer. And so what Peter has to do is he has to deny it with more ferocity. And he says what? He again denied it. Vehemently denied it. And at that third point, at that third point of denial, here's what Luke 22 says. Verse 61, and the Lord turned. You say, the Lord turned? Well, apparently they must have removed Jesus from the house quarters and they must have been moving him to another area and he must have been passing by Peter himself and the light of the fire is now showing on at least two faces, Jesus and Peter. And the Lord turned and he stared at Peter. You say, I see stare, not not on the part of our Lord. No, I'm not talking about what the Lord was thinking. I'm talking about what Peter was thinking. For him, it was an icy stare, right? Because he knew he had just fulfilled the very prophecy of the Lord Jesus. I said I was going to die for you. And now I realized what you meant when you said what you said about the rooster. Because verse 61 says, the Lord took, turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Instantly. Third denial, rooster crows and Jesus stares. And Peter realizes, I'm undone. And Luke twenty two sixty two 62 says, and he went out and wept bitterly. Now I have to tell you, in the midst of the narrative in the Gospels about Peter, it's not just alongside the narrative about Jesus being arrested falsely and having unjust trials, there's also Judas, right? And Judas, in the very initial point of the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is there, Judas says, let me show you what I'm going to do to the officers and the soldiers. I'm going to go up and I'm going to kiss him and that will signify for you that that's Jesus the Nazarene. And that's exactly what he did. And he went up to him and said, Hail, Master! And he kissed him on the cheek. And the soldiers then identified Jesus himself. And that's why we call it, when someone is betrayed, they are betrayed with a Judas kiss, right? And you know what the difference is between Judas and Peter? Judas never repented. And any time he may have wept, any time he may have been chagrined, it was a false repentance. It wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. Uh, he has what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 is a, a worldly sorrow. I'm sorry I got caught. Because the narrative goes on to say about Judas himself that after he had betrayed the Lord Jesus, the Bible says 
that ultimately he met his demise by committing suicide. His guilt was overwhelming, but he never repented. And so what about Peter? You say, Peter betrayed the Lord and he did it three times in a row. He's no better than Judas. Oh, but he wept bitterly. And you know what Jesus said earlier about Peter? Probably regarding this very time and what would happen. Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Somehow, in some cosmic interplay, uh, something above our world, uh, something regarding uh, authorities and powers and principalities, Satan is requesting of Jesus that he have Peter's soul. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But Luke twenty two thirty two. 32, but I have prayed for you. I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, the word turn there is the word for repentance. And when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. That's the difference, my friends. Hey, we can, we can talk about Peter all day. He denied, he denied, he denied. He was proud, he was arrogant. I'm dying for you if you wish. And when he had the opportunity, he denied the Lord, but he repented. He turned. And in that act of repentance, he asked for forgiveness. And in the weeping of the bitterness of the moment, God says, I'm praying for you in the person of Jesus Christ that your faith would not fail. And it didn't. And he became the great preacher under the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, giving us warrant to say, no, this man's faith did not fail. He repented of his sins. He was granted divine forgiveness and Peter, no wonder, he says, and if you suffer for a while, the God of all grace will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. He knew what he was talking about. I mean, what about you? As we close the service today, what about you? Have you been in the position, maybe even recently, I've denied the Lord, I've either denied witnessing for him, I've, I've denied something uh, about his character by my own sinful conduct, I've denied him practically speaking, oh, I haven't given up on the faith, but it sure seems like Satan is a demanding to sift me like wheat. Well, if you're truly Christ's own, he's interceding on our behalf that our faith may not fail. And if he's the one doing the praying, it will not. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, when that look ventured to Peter's eyes, you were you were staring at him and he knew what he had done. 
And yet I suspect because of his going out from the courtyard and getting by himself and the bitterness of his weeping and in the attempt to sift him like wheat, even as you were being further unjustly tried and hanging on the cross, you would say, I forgive you. Oh, Father, thank you for your forgiving love through Christ. And Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done on that cross to forgive sinners like us and to use us even as we have at times denied you. We pray that through our repentance and our tears, we would be asked to be used by you again. Father, make it so. Through the Holy Spirit and His power, the power to repent, the power to be imbued with the dynamism of turning from our sin and denying Christ no more being bold in our witness, being tireless in our ministry efforts, large or small, and giving us the privilege of doing ministry that we don't deserve. Lord, thank you that our faith will not fail. And give us a restored, strengthened, confirmed and established faith so that we can do great exploits in your name. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.